Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone, this is uh, Kennard speaking. I am your host for the Merciful Servants of God, a biblical instructional program. Uh, today will be an interesting program. I'm going to uh, talk about this uh, doomsday prophet that has already been proven to be wrong today in other parts of the uh, world. Uh, is way past 6 o'clock p.m., and no one has been raptured. There's no earthquake. So um, obviously the guy is wrong, and he's not the only one. It's, it's several people that make quite a bit of money uh just doing this, just going around brainwashing people who don't even understand the Bible or don't even study the Bible. And uh, this guy, um, you can Google this, but this guy has made close to $80 million uh, last year. So he's all about money. And when when someone is preaching about prophecy and they're asking you to give them money because uh, the world is coming to an end and uh, we need to get this message out to save people, uh, about 99.9% of the time, perhaps 100% of the time, is um, uh, something that is of the devil, and all, all their intentions are is to generate money or make money off your fear of protecting yourself. And that's not what religion is all about. Um, let's turn to James 1, verse 27, to understand what pure religion is all about, because uh, most people don't understand what pure religion is. We have unpure religion in most parts of the world today. And that type of religion is all about money. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. James chapter 1, verse 27. says, uh, Religion that is pure and undefiled. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version of the Bible. It says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, that's a significant statement to say we must keep ourselves unstained from the world. That simply means that the world is stained, <laughs> that we have some issues uh, with the world right now and, and we need to unstain ourselves from the perversion and the wickedness of this world. And a lot of people are attracted to the world, and they're attracted to what the world offers. But God tells us to do this. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 
First John chapter two verse fifteen. says, do not love the world or the things in the world. All right? So what God is saying, he's not saying you're not to love the people in the world because he tells us to love our enemies. What he's saying is that we shouldn't be so hung up with the, uh, with the materialism of this world. So many people are hung up with that. They're hung up with the, uh, the, the, the technology, uh, the entertainment, the movies, the fantasy. That's what God wants us to get away from. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's a pretty significant statement, folks. If you if you love this world and love all the things in it and, and and just love it so much that you don't care about God and don't want to spend time with God, doesn't you don't look at the Bible, the scriptures as as the Bible uh, in Ezekiel chapter three and other places suggests that you uh look at the words of God like it's honey. It should be as sweet as honey. And if it's not as sweet as honey to you, then you you got some work to do, um, but I'm sure that your your favorite television program, football game, and all these other things uh, is the sweetest honey to you. Well, God wants you to replace that sweet of honey with uh, being fervent toward Him and His way of life. So anyway, verse 16 says, "For all that is in the world," and he's getting getting specific, uh, very specific here. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. Let me stop there. The desires of the flesh. As soon as I read that, I think of pornography. Okay, uh, we have a serious problem in this country, and worldwide. Even Osama bin Laden had a problem with pornography. Okay, and he found a bunch of porno in, in his uh, whatever where he lived at. So it, it's an issue with a lot of people. So uh, that definitely is the desires of the flesh. But the desires of the flesh can be other things, too. The desire to want to feel good all the time, be on drugs, get drunk, you know. Uh, it can be several other things as well. Um, the desires of the eyes. Well, we have a major problem in this country and worldwide as well. Television. Uh, television, most people waste their time looking at television. Uh, they they sit there and they allow a tube that has visuals to think for them. That's what the television does. Very few people look at the television for educational purposes. Most people look at between five, six to seven hours of television every day. That's a maximum of 49 hours of television a week, a minimum of 25 hours of television a week, which is ridiculous. Uh, you can use that time to further educate yourself uh, to do Bible study, pray, help people, visit widows, uh, visit the fatherless. Those are the kind of things that you should be doing with that extra time, not fooling around looking at stupid television, because it is stupid. The majority of things on, on television is stupid. Now, you can find some good things on there, but the majority of things uh, are not really good on television. So that's the desires of the eyes, and the desires of the eyes can be other things, but the, the thing that rings out when I read that scripture is television for sure. And movies. And the pride in possessions. Oh, boy. In this country, we really have pride about what we got. Uh, I remember when I was young, no woman was really interested in me. Uh, a lot of women weren't interested in, in an individual, a man or a boy, unless that boy 
was part of a family that was rich or had had this, had the nice car, had the nice house, had the, was in a nice neighborhood. But if you weren't in any of that, and even if you were a decent person, if you were poor, they didn't want nothing to do with you. And that's the way people are today. A lot of people, they, they judge you by what you have. And Christ stated plainly that one's life does not consist of the thing that you possess. And, and people, unfortunately, don't believe what Christ said. And even to this day, I run into people that, and I'm not going to give any names, but I know some family members of mine, they they look at me and they say, hey, well, Kennard, is, he doesn't have this, he doesn't have that, then there's something wrong with him. And that's that's not true. That's not true. And then the Luke, let's, let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Starting at verse 15. Christ, this is Christ's own words. It's in red letters. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetedness. That means greed, wanting more than what you already have. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's what your Lord and Savior is saying, folks. It's not about what you got. It's about what you do. Okay? First John 2, uh, verse uh, 16 again, it says, For to all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions. The pride and possession and the desires of the eyes also is how someone looks, you know, how good they look. Ooh, he looks like a model, or he looks like a model. Ooh, he fine, she fine, ooh. You know, God is not, it's nothing wrong with pleasant-looking people. It's just that we put too much emphasis on that. That's what he's he's talking about, okay? And he said, all this is not from the Father, but is from the world, or more specifically, from the devil, because it's not from God. Verse 17, and the world, and I try to I explain it to my son. I think he gets it, finally. But it says right here, the world is passing away, along with his desires. It's passing away. It's going. If God approved of this world, it wouldn't be passing away. He has already judged this world guilty. Not the people, but the, you know, as far as the the way is set up, he's going to change it. The people still will be judged. He hasn't made a final judgment on, on most folks yet, okay? But he has already judged his world, his way of life, to be not up to his standards. That's what that means. And the world is passing away. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And this entire Bible shows you what the will of God is. So I hope I've explained to you the difference between God's way of life and the devil's way of life. I'm trying to break it down as, as, as simple as I can. It's in three categories as far as the devil's character consists of the desires of the flesh, or should I say the over-desires of the flesh, the over-desires of the eyes and, and the pride and possessions. Uh, that's that's the problem with most folks in this world. Most folks either has one pro- one of those problems or all three of them, or two uh, out of the three. You've got to eliminate all of them if you want to claim that you have the love of the Father in you. So... Getting back to this guy, let, let me read a little bit because I know most people don't even know who he is. And, but um, what he's doing right now is 
Well, I just had this. Where is this website out here? I just had it up here to be able to. Here we go. Okay. Uh, this is on World Net Daily. Uh, the headline to this article is Preacher Claiming Rapture May 21st. Holds on to his stuff. Uh, I'm sure you won't be holding to his stuff anymore. But anyway, broadcasts are confident Christians raptured. Others reject the idea claiming he's a false prophet. Well, it's not a claim. It is, it is a fact. As a matter of fact, this guy, he did this before, and uh, he didn't say, I mean, he was emphatically thinking that it would end 1994. So, and it says right here, does the judgment day of God begin this Saturday, May 21st, with Jesus Christ returning to earth to rapture his true believers away to heaven. No, I can emphatically say that. It says, a Christian broadcaster says the Bible guarantees it. No, the Bible does not guarantee it. The only thing it guarantees in his case is that he's a false prophet. But anyway, but so far he's given no indication he's getting rid of his earthly possessions, including his radio network, as other Christians label him a false prophet with a dangerous teaching, which is true. This guy's 89 years old. He may be a little senile. Maybe his brain is not functioning properly. I, I don't know. But uh, his name is Harold Camping. Uh, he's 89 years old. Uh, he resides in Oakland, California. And he has a uh, money-sucking ministry. That's what I call it, called Family Radio. Uh, is standing fr firm in his claim that mankind has run out of time and the creator of the universe is arriving this Saturday with earthquakes around the globe heralding the event. In fact, when asked how he was feeling in this so-called final week, Camping admitted he's already got a case of the shakes. Uh, I think the only thing he's shaking right now is his denial tendencies that he's wrong. Anyway, I am trembling. I have never been at this place before. When we are only a few days away from the last thing that has to happen, the whole world destroyed by God, I have never been here before. Where can you get direction so you know how to feel? Anyway. Camping's interpretation of scripture has led many people to alter their lifestyles dramatically and over to take their message of the end of days to the streets, literally a publicly a publicity tour called Project uh, Caravan has been touring cities across America in recent months, urging people to repent and prepare for the second coming of Jesus. Among those who agree with camping is Guy Von Haringa, a former atheist at the University of California, California, San Diego, who was joined, who has joined Family Radio's outreach team. He says there is no backup plan to go on with life as usual, May 22nd, the day after the big event. I suggest they do have a backup plan. I hope they don't kill themselves. But anyway, he says, what if Noah made a backup plan when he was building the ark? Well, you can't compare your situation to Noah. Uh, Noah, God himself came down and told him. Okay, so he knew what the deal was. I'm sure that God didn't come down and tell Mr. Camping anything. Okay, says, what if he didn't spend all his money and resources on building that ark? What if he spent a little bit of his money on building an extra house just in case it, it didn't happen? But anyway, again, Noah's situation does not compare to Camping's here. But anyway, but there are many Christians who have serious doubts about the May 21st uh, prediction, and some have offered to purchase all of Camping's property. This is interesting. <laughs> a letter to Catholic from Soul David Cuddyback of Eugene, Oregon, offered to take possession of everything Camping owns for a total of $1 on May 22nd. It says, according to your prophecy, and that's what it is, his prophecy certainly isn't God's, you and all the other believers will have departed the earth the day before, so you will have no need for your possessions any, any longer, Cuddyback wrote. 
I am dead serious. I want your home, your cars, your cash, your investments, other real estate contracts, accounts payable, securities, any position of leadership that you occupy, any interest in any form of business, sole proprietor, nonprofit, corporation. If you refuse, then I must take that, that to mean that you don't really believe your own words to be true, which would make you a false prophet. Cuddleback says he hasn't heard any reply back from camping, which proves what his intent is in the first place, is to get money. A lot of these false ministers, what they do is use, again, your fear of you dying. Uh, everyone wants to live. You know, Everyone wants, even wicked people want to live. They don't want to die. So they play on this to get money from you. It's a very, very effective tool. It has been used by so many false ministers. And it's a very effective way to make some quick money, I'm telling you, because people are really concerned about their behinds. I'm telling you, they really are. And and uh, me and my wife got suckered into a church uh, playing on the same thing. He wasn't as uh, he wasn't as uh, fanatical as this guy, but he was fanatical enough. And we gave almost close to uh, fifty thousand dollars in nine years because he said, "Hey, you you are earning your ticket to a place of safety." We gave him contributions, and that's not what religion is about—trying to save your skin, you know. Not only you know, it's trying to save other people's skins, and not not just yours. And, and and skin you're trying to save is the the uh, curse of eternal death. We want eternal life. That's what the gospel is about. First Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to know what God's plan is, summarize in a very simple way. Study First Corinthians chapter 15. It tells you about the gospel. It tells you about God's overall plan. It tells you why man uh, is cursed. And, and what is done, what has been done to to eliminate that curse and, and how things are going to turn out. And it ends really with death being destroyed, meaning that sin is destroyed because sin causes death. And, and, and it ends with this entire universe, including the earth, being at peace. It's a beautiful chapter. I suggest that you sit down and read it and study it, meditate on it. But anyway... And he says, uh, mostly I'm intensely angry with him because it's stupid, and it is stupid. Self-serving heresy may cause some who are weak or new in the faith to become disillusioned. And that's why that's what I'm concerned about. That's the reason why I decided to do a special broadcast on this, because it is prophesied in 2 Peter chapter 3, people are going to start doubting his coming. And, and of course, uh, when you get, uh, have uh, people like uh, Camping going around telling people that it's the end of the world and doesn't have any scriptures to back up what he's saying, basically, uh, he just certain he, he uses certain scriptures and twists those scriptures to his own destruction. Um, it discourages people. It it it, it uh, gets people to doubt God, and uh, I'm sure some people will turn into atheists or don't even want to believe in God after this. And I really feel sorry for the people that gave all their money, or the majority of their money, so their discretionary income income that uh, is used uh, for the purposes uh, outside of your bills and expenses. Uh, and giving all the, the discretionary income to him, and just um, just being brainwashed, and, and that's and that's what it is. Um, to, to be brainwashed means that you are given information and you're told not to question it. That is right because I say so. Okay. Now even God Himself tells you to prove Him. So if God, a perfect being, tells you to prove him, 
then what makes a man uh, what makes a man say that you you shouldn't prove him? Now, I mean that's ridiculous. Any man that tells you that they're full of arrogance, and you need to just run away from him or woman. But anyway, uh, it says this guy right here. Um, Cuddyback, I guess that's how you pronounce his last name. Mostly I'm in- intensely angry with him because his stupid, self-serving heresy may cause some who are weak or new in the faith to become disillusioned and fall away after his prophecy fails to come to pass, he told WND. It is written that Jesus, when speaking of religious teachers, said that it would be better if that teacher had a millstone tied around his neck and tossed into the sea if the teacher caused a little one in the faith to stumble. That's why I'm very careful about what I say. I mean, I use this Bible. Uh, I, I, I am not going to be predicting, uh, you know, in, in the program, our advertised program this week. No, God does not give us a, a specific year. He does not tell us when things are going to go down. How, however, he tells us to watch and pray that we may be able to escape all these things. So he doesn't want us to be totally clueless about what's going on in the world, but he doesn't give us a specific date. He, he, t- he tells us about a specific day, month, and year, but we don't know what that is. Now, if some of us are still alive at the time he's coming, we'd probably be able to approximate, estimate, but nobody knows the exact time, day, and year. It's impossible to know that at this time. Okay, so so for for somebody like this to go around deceiving people, like I, I just feel sorry for the people to listen to this man, and I just hope that people finally wake up and, and realize you don't need uh, a minister to help you understand. Well, you I can't say, I can't say that you do. But you have to do investigation to find out who the right one, who who are the right people to listen to. Because there's an example in Acts about uh, an evangelist, Philip, helping someone understand the scriptures. So uh, there's nothing wrong with a man showing you uh, how to understand the Bible or a woman. But what you have to understand is this. There's certain qualifications that you must be aware of to determine whether or not this individual is a preacher of God or a Torah teacher of God. Camping does not fit the description. Okay, he, he's, not, he's not even preaching the, the true gospel. Uh, most ministers aren't preaching the true gospel. Uh, the gospel to most Christians is, well, Christ died for our sins. He took away the law of Moses. And all we have to do is love each other, and that's that. And that, that's not the gospel, folks. I mean, the gospel is, hey... We follow his example. He did not come to destroy the law of Moses, which is the law of God. He even said that in Matthew 5, verse 17. He said, I did not come, do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. One of the prophets, if you're not aware of this, is Moses. So he did not come. His mission was not a destruction mission of everything that Moses said. And unfortunately, Christianity teaches that. Traditional Christianity teaches that that the law of Moses was dealt to the cross. And they don't realize that the law of Moses is the law of God. And, of course, I'm going to tell you, if you haven't listened to it already, uh, my feature Bible study is uh, is the law of Moses uh, nailed to the cross. All right, so you, sh- you should listen to that because I prove through the Scriptures that it's not and that the law of Moses, when you truly understand it, is the law of God. It's the law of God. The reason why it's called the law of Moses is because God used Moses to give the law to the Israelites at that time. But there's no difference between the law of Moses and the law of God because they're one and the same. So anyway, um, the gospel, the good news is that Christ came to sacrifice his life for all of mankind. And because of his sacrifice, 
He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We have an opportunity to uh, live forever. That's the way it was before Adam and Eve sinned. Because of their sin, uh, death was entered into the universe, basically. Even the animals weren't dying. Even the other creatures weren't dying until that happened. And through the Messiah's death, that cycle is in the process of being reversed. But for it to be permanently reversed, all sin must be destroyed. And that process has, has begun with sin being destroyed through the Holy Spirit. As people change and repent of their wickedness, sin is in the process of being destroyed. Once sin or violation of the law of God, that's what sin is. Sin is a transgression of the law. Uh, once that's destroyed, no one will die again, and all the creatures on the earth won't die either because we, the creatures and, and humans, are linked together as far as that's concerned. But um, it says right here, um, it is written that Jesus, when speaking of religious teachers, said that it would be better if that teacher had a millstone tied around his neck and tossed into the sea if the teacher calls a little one in the faith to stumble because of false teaching. Serious business taking a position of speaking for God. A more um, substantive offer of one million for Camping's network of more than 100 radio stations was made by Christians who run a BibleAnswer.org. We made the offer in hopes of turning some from mortgaging their houses and quitting their jobs, spokesman Richard Myers told WND. Many have supported this man and his false prophecies at great expense. No doubt some will kill themselves when Jesus does not rapture them on May 21st. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm concerned about. I'm really concerned about these people. So we need to be praying that they don't go and lose their minds, you know, about this. So anyway, I'm not going to read this whole article. I just wanted to, to point out uh, the foolishness of what he's uh, teaching here. And he's just basing, let me just read this here. He's just basing, and it just tells you, this is a classic case of, of eisegesis, okay? Uh, let, let's study this because you need to know how people twist the scriptures to their own destruction. And this guy has done this. So let, let's take a good look at his reasoning, how he twisted the scriptures here to try to say that this is true. Now, I'm just quoting from the article here. It says, for those curious as to how camping arrives at May 21st, 2011, as the final day, he summarizes it on his website, alleging that the flood of Noah took place in the year 4,990 B.C., and 2011 is precisely 7,000 years after that. So that that's his reasoning. Uh, in 2 Peter 3, verse 8, says, Holy God reminds us that one day is as a thousand years. That's true. Therefore, with the correct understanding that the seven days referred to in Genesis 7-4 can be understood as 7,000 years, no, we learned that when God told Noah there were seven days to escape worldwide destruction, he was also telling the world there would be 7,000 years to escape the wrath of God that would come when he destroys the world on Judgment Day. Now, that's not what that scripture says, folks. Now, it's true that there is a 7,000-year plan, but the 7,000 years aren't up yet. We're still up to, into the, uh, the 6,000th year right now. Anyway, 7,000 years after 4,990 4, B.C., the year of the flood is the year two, two, uh, 2011. So 490 plus 2011 minus 1 equals 7,000. One year must be subtracted 
and going from Old Testament BC calendar day to New Testament calendar day. So thus, Holy God is showing us by the words of 2 Peter 3, verse 8, that he wants us to know that exactly 7,000 years after he destroyed the world with water in Noah's day, he plans to destroy the entire world forever. Because the year 2011 A.D. is exactly 7,000 years after 4,090 B.C., 4,990 B.C., when the flood began, the Bible has given us absolute proof that the year 2011 is the end of the world during the day of judgment, which will come on the last day of judgment. Day of the day of judgment. Amazingly, May 21st, 2011 is the 17th day of the second month of the biblical calendar of our day. Remember, the flood waters also began on the 17th day of the second month in the year 4,990 4, B.C. So anyway, it says, Camping's date of 4,990 B.C. for the flood of Noah is not a time which others have agreed. In the 17th century, theologian James Usher wrote, The Annals of the World placed the flood date at 2349 B.C. That is 2,641 years later than camping. Usher also believed the flood occurred in the autumn instead of the spring as camping has it. So anyway, um, he's wrong, folks. And uh, before, I'm going to get back to this, but I I wanted to summarize the Torah teachings for today. And uh, the Torah teaching today is uh, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3 to 27, verse 34. And I'm just going to summarize it uh, courtesy of Chabad. Dot org. It says, God promises that if the people of Israel would keep his commandments, they will enjoy material prosperity and dwell securely in their homeland. But he also delivers a harsh rebuke or correction, warning of the exile, persecution, and other evils that will befall them if they abandon their covenant with them. And this is not just referring to the Jews, but to anyone who, who claims that they believe in Jesus, the Messiah, because Jesus is Jewish. And the Messiah is going to be the king of Israel, or is the king of Israel. Nevertheless, even when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor will I ever abhor them to destroy them and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. The Parsha concludes with the rules on how to calculate the values of different types of pledges made to God and the mitzvah or commandment of tithing produce, tithing produce and livestock. So that's the summary, and when you get a chance, I suggest you read Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3 to 27, verse 34. Now, uh, the prophet section of the um, readings today, Jeremiah, which is interesting here. Jeremiah chapter, in light of uh, this uh, popular false prophet here, uh, James chapter 16, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 16. Jeremiah chapter 16, starting in verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my stronghood, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies. So that right there, that verse tells us that it only confirms Revelation 12 verse 9 where it says the whole world has been deceived or tricked. We all have been tricked. The only uh, human being that was not tricked was Christ and perhaps John the Baptist. Anyway, Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my stronghood, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come 
from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. I just talked about those things in uh, 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 15, uh, with the, the pride of life, or the pride of possessions, the the lust of the uh, flesh and the lust of the eyes, those are things that, that, that has no profit, worthless things that we focus on too much. Uh, can can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. It says, therefore, behold, I will make them know, this once I will make them know my power and my might, that they shall know that my name is the Lord, or Jehovah, or Yahweh, or H-W-H. So, chapter 17 of Jeremiah, verse 1. The sin of Judah, which Judah stands for the tribe of uh, it's the tribe of Judah, and Judah is the Jews, consists of the Jews. And not many don't realize this, but when they read the Bible, whenever they see Israel, they just think of Jews only. Well, the Jews are a very small part of Israel. Israel consists of 12 tribes, and those 12 tribes consist of many other uh, types of human human beings. And the United States and, and Britain and Canada and the countries in Northwestern Europe and New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa are a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. If you don't believe me or that sounds crazy to you, go to Britam.org, B as in boy, R-I-T-A-M as in mother.org, that's B as in boy, R-I-T as in Tom, A-M as in mother.org to see the proof of what I'm saying. Uh, it's a website by Yer Davidi. He's a Orthodox Jew in Jerusalem, and he has accurately proven that the twelve tribes of Israel is not just the Jews. It's also, like I told you, those uh, those uh, countries I just mentioned to you, as well as anyone that does believe in the Jewish Messiah. They are also automatically grafted into the Commonwealth of Israel, as Ephesians chapter two reveals. So. Jeremiah 17, verse 1, it says, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their asherim, beside every green tree on the high hills, on the mountains in the open country. Your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. Now, asherim is uh, very interesting here. Uh, in reference to what that is, that has uh, says uh, beside every green tree, and that that alludes uh, to the the actual Christmas tree that uh, is traditionally used every year for celebrating um, Santa Claus or you know, the, the birth of Christ, supposedly on December twenty fifth. And uh, anyone that <laughs> has any uh, Intelligence could realize that uh, December 25th was not the, the birthday of Christ. So that can be easily proven wrong. But anyway, it says, Beside every green tree on, on high hills and the mountains and the open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. You shall lo- loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Forever, and it says, "Thus says the Lord: Cursed is the man who trusts in man." And this alludes to 
uh, this camping guy. Uh, unfortunately, the people that have followed this man is cursed because they trusted in him. Now, this is not talking about trusting in someone when they tell you that, uh, and they've proven that they can be trusted. This person has not proven that he can be trusted. His track record says that. I mean, he, he predicted the same thing, basically, in 1994. He was wrong, and here we go again. It says, Curse is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. When you trust totally on somebody, uh, this reminds me of a Jim Jones situation. I studied it. I looked at a movie, and I, I looked at this documentary by, um forgot her name, female, on CNN. Made an excellent documentary on this, um, on um, Jim Jones, and those people were brainwashed so much so that they were drinking Kool-Aid with uh, poison in it and, and so forth. And, and I know eventually they were, a lot of them were forced to do it. They, were, they uh, but they got suckered into believing his um, his brand of religion so bad that when they realized that this guy was going out of his mind, it was too late. I mean, they were forced to drink that stuff, and, and, and they killed thousands of people, unfortunately. But anyway, curse is the man who, and that's how they were cursed. Curse is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. So trust in man means to blindly trust in man and think that they're everything, what they're saying is right, without you proving it, whether or not they're right or wrong. And makes flesh his strength whose heart turns, and that's how you turn away from the Lord. And these people turn away from the Lord by trusting this man which I believe is perhaps uh, he's not thinking straight. Matter of fact, he's not thinking straight. Verse 6, he is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. So he says he's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in an an uninhabited salt land. So these people who have given all their possessions and so forth, (laughs) uh, this is perhaps what's going to happen to them, unfortunately. Verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord also means to trust in the people that have proven to be his servants. Whose trust is the Lord? He is like a tree planted by water that sends out his roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, for his leaves remain green. Now, these people don't fear. They don't have this, oh, the world's going to come to an end. Ah! You know, they don't have that kind of fear when when they put their trust in God. Okay, uh, For his leaves remain green and is, and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. So they have total trust in God. They're not worried about the end times. They're not worried about protecting their behinds. Okay, that's not what religion is all about, folks. It's not about um, it's not about uh, saving your lives like that. The whole focus of religion is, is uh, when, when am I going to be able to save my life? You know, that, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. Uh, it's not about finding a, a bunker to go under, or it's, it's not. It's not about exclusively just trying to find a place to escape. You know that that's not what religion is about, <laughs> folks. I already showed you what religion is about. Uh, he's been emphatic about that. God, he says right here in Luke seventeen verse thirty three. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. So we must be all willing to to give our lives to God, if necessary, to give up our lives to God. 
Just like Christ gave his life, but not only for God, for, but for all of mankind. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And this poor man's heart and the people that follow him is, is, is definitely full of deception, and they need to repent of this foolishness. It says, who can understand it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the, the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Verse 11, like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at the end he will be a fool. Verse 12, a glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Verse 14, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. So that that's a real good scripture to study in light of this uh, deception of camping. And let's pray also for the poor people that have been suckered into believing this nonsense. Now, I want to explain this rapture. There is a rapture, folks. That's the good news. Uh, what many people are mixed up on is thinking that God is going to take all of... Uh, the people that believe in him, to heaven before the tribulation. And that is nowhere proved in Scripture, folks. Uh, people have tried to twist Scriptures to try to say that um, the rapture is before the tribulation, but I can tell you, and I'm going to prove to you today, in the simplest way I can, that that's not true. Now, what does rapture mean? The word rapture means to suddenly remove away. The word rapture is not found in your King James Version of the Bible, folks. In First Thessalonians four, verse seventeen. Let's turn it. I'm gonna read the I'm gonna do this in the King James Version here. I have one right here. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians four. Uh, verse 17 it says, but then we which are alive and remain. Well, first, before I go into that, let's um, start in verse 15. First Thessalonians uh, 4, verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So the dead are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. And the word caught up means, uh, the Greek for that is harpazo. Okay, and it means caught up. And it says, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air or in the atmosphere. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, notice it doesn't say we will go immediately back down to earth. That assumption has been read in many scriptures that people have taught about this. Now, in the air, what does that mean, in the air? Let's, let's break it down. 
according to the complete word study dictionary in Thessalonians chapter 4 <clears throat> excuse me verse 17 Christ at his coming meets the believers in the air designated to be the area immediately above the earth or outer space the air is not designated by the Jews as a dwelling place of angels but of Satan and his demons it is in this context that Paul designates Satan as being the ruler of the power of the air. The Lord will penetrate this area in order to deliver his own from the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. Could you give me some water? Could you give me some water? Thanks. Okay. John chapter 7. Excuse me, guys. My voice is getting a little right here. I'm going to get some water here. John chapter 7. <clears throat> Verse 34. He states here, You shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Alright, I want you to focus on the phrase, where I am. Because I'm going to prove to you what he meant. That phrase it means heaven. Where I am. In verse 36, what manner of saying is this, that he said, you shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither you cannot come. So, again, let's focus on where I am. Then John chapter 8, John chapter 8, starting in verse 21. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. And uh, then, then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he said, Whether I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, You are from beneath, I am from above, you are of this world. I am not of this world. Okay? In John 14, verse 3, John 14, verse 3. Actually, in verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, again, where I am, where I am, there you may be also. So, that's the situation there. So, in John 12, verse uh, 26. It says, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, <clears throat> there shall also my servant be, if any man serve him. So again, where I am, that is, that is the phrase there. Where I am. And then John 14. And if I go and prepare a place, verse 3, for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may also be. John 17. Verse 24. 
Father, I will that they also with whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, again, a phrase for heaven, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. So it should be pretty clear here that that phrase, uh, where I am, is referring to heaven. And I think that the key scriptures to understand that, again, John 8, verse 21, then Jesus again uh, said unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and where and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. Then Jesus said, will he kill himself? Because he said, whether I go, you cannot, you cannot come. And he said, you are from beneath, I am from above, you, you are of this world, I am not of this world. So he's giving a distinction or a dichotomy. Uh, of him himself or where he was versus uh, where they are at. So, and then in um, John chapter 7, verse uh, 34, again, says, You shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, you, you cannot come. And then verse 35, then the Jews said, Where will he go that he we will not find him? Okay? Uh, so, so basically, um, And in verse 36, it says, What manner of saying is this? He said, You shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And then he explains that in uh, John chapter 8, verses 21 to 23. And the beautiful scripture here that I love here, John 12, states in verse 26, He says, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, that's heaven, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, he will be, he, uh, he will my father honor. Now, this also means wherever he's at as well, but it also means heaven because of the context. So, the throne of God is considered heaven, folks. So let's turn to Matthew 5, verse 34. Matthew 5, verse 34. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. So, Whenever you think of heaven, think of God's throne, because God's throne is in heaven. So it's synonymous with uh, heaven. Paradise is uh, could be the Garden of Eden. It is also the throne of God. It's heaven. And Leviticus, uh, Luke chapter 23, rather, let's turn there. Luke 23. Luke 23. Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 43. It says, and Jesus said unto thee, Verily I say unto thee, Today you shall be with me in paradise. That means heaven. Because uh, when you read Second Corinthians chapter 12, Second Corinthians chapter 12, Second Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 1, It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years old, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise. Paradise is synonymous with heaven. God's throne is synonymous with heaven. And he heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Okay, and that word caught up, is, again, means harpazo, rapture. That's what we call rapture in that scripture. All right, so uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. There is a rapture, folks, but it's not before the tribulation. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. 
he that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God in heaven. That's where it's at. All right, so there will be people left on the earth when Christ comes back, folks. Um, I know some people have taught that that's not the case, but uh, Zechariah 14, verse 16, proves that there will be people left on the earth. And other scriptures, but I'm just going to just quote this one because uh, for lack of time, I can't go into real detail about it. Zechariah chapter 14. Verse 16. So, and this shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. Okay, so there's going to be some people left of all the nations that came against Jerusalem. So even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So that proves that there will be people still left on the earth. And then here's another one. I'll just quote this in Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah 24, verse 6. It says, Therefore have the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. So there's going to be few men left on the earth. There would be some people left on the earth because there's some people, false prophets, preaching that everyone's going to be destroyed and there's not going to be anyone left on the earth, which is not true. Now, let's analyze Matthew chapter 24 because many people just don't seem to understand this chapter. I don't know why. It's one of the most simplest chapters to understand about prophecy. And I think probably the biggest reason why people struggle with it is because they don't believe what Christ says in his words, and that's that's unfortunate. But let's turn, because <clears throat> if you really understand what he's saying here, you can see that it's not going to be a rapture. It's not going to be a rapture before the tribulation. Matthew chapter 24. Okay, I'm going to read this whole thing, <laughs> because it needs to be understood. Because if you understand this, you, you can understand it's not going to be a rapture before the tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Okay? So, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Um, Capping obviously does not understand Matthew chapter 24 because it's pretty plain. Verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. So the end times, these times we're living in today, is full of deception and trickery. That's why we have to prove who we're listening to. We need to get the Bible out and look at the scriptures they're referring to and make sure that they're not twisting the scriptures. Twisting meaning putting their own thoughts and interpretation to the scriptures, like Camping did, uh, to say that God is saying something that he's not saying. Okay? It says, verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am, in Christ, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Or talk about it and say, and say that they understand about Christ and deceive many as well. Verse 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you not be troubled. We're not supposed to be troubled about these things. And yet, the camping folks are. I mean, the, the people that are following him, they're, they're 
they're troubled about their lives. They're, they're troubled about this. They're troubled about that. And, and and true believers aren't troubled like that. They 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 have the faith to to hang on and realize that hey, this is all in God's hands, and all we need to do is obey Him, and things will be taken care of. Obviously, the camping folks don't have don't have that type of uh, faith. But anyway, verse six, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation show that word nation should be uh, means family, your kin, a tribe. For family shall rise against families, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, in other words, people starving to death or not having enough to survive, and pestilences or diseases and earthquakes in various places. All these are just the beginning of sorrows, just the beginning. Verse nine. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise just like camping and shall deceive many. And he has deceived many with this ridiculous assumption that the end of the world is going to happen today. Verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Meaning, just like when you, you take an icicle and you hold it, don't feel good, right? Well, that's the way people's love is today toward one another. It's not really warm. Verse 13, But he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. I'm not saying all people, but a significant amount really don't care like they should toward about other people. But he shall endure. But he that shall endure to, until the end. Now, now, this is a significant scripture in light of thinking that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. Why would he say that he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved, if you're going to be raptured before the trouble begins? Think about that. Does that make sense? If you're raptured before the trouble begins, what do you have to endure? Nothing. Right? All right. Anyway, verse 14. And now, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, in verse 13, talks about enduring until the end, and then he says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end come. Now, this is in the context of what he said, enduring until the end. And I know some false ministers that I've listened to will say, Well, with this work... Uh, when this word preaches the gospel around the world, that's when the end will come. You know, they they have said things like that to me and deceived me into thinking that this particular ministry is the one that God commissioned to preach the gospel around the world. And I'm, I'm going to get this article that I've written here about this because it's it's a bunch of deception, folks, and we, we need to be aware of it. And we need to understand that um, as far as preaching the gospel around the world, for instance, do you know there's how many people in the world right now? So I think it's close to 7 billion people. Okay? 7 billion people. Now, unless, you know, God can do anything through human beings. Okay? Unless God backs up an organization to preach the gospel around the world to 7 billion people, it's not going to happen, folks, by the hand of man. Okay? Now, here's some significant facts that you have to understand about this 
preaching the gospel around the world. I mean, this is some, one of my favorite topics of discussion here because people are just so deceived about preaching the gospel around the world. And I'm trying to find the section that, uh, let's see, here we go. All right. All right. The Jewish gospel of the kingdom of God will be preached to every creature in the 21st century. All right. Uh, the reason why I put an emphasis on it being a Jewish gospel, because that's what it is. <laughs> it, this message came from Jews, folks. It came from Jesus, who was a Jew. So it is a Jewish gospel, Jewish good news. Okay. And Christ, in Mark 16, verse 15 to 20, he says he tell, told his believers to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized or immersed will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And there and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues or languages. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will be by no means hurt them or will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Mark 16, verse 15 to 20. Then Mark 24, verse 14. Um, that's already in, in Matthew chapter 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end that camping said would happen today will come. It says, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. True. Go therefore, and then uh, in Matthew uh, 28, verse 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing or immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And I'm telling you, most of these Christian churches do not teach all the things that Jesus commanded uh, the disciples. So how can it be the true gospel? It's not. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right, so we know that this is a is a... Is a commandment not only to his disciples but also to any believer up until the end of the age okay so we have to understand that now the Jewish gospel was preached around the world 32 years or so after the resurrection of the Messiah which occurred for some say around 27 AD some say 30 whatever uh, approximately 63 AD Matthew 24 verse 14 was fulfilled back then it was fulfilled back then. Um, here's a scripture to prove that. Let's turn to Colossians. If I can find it here. Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 to 6. It says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where if you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bring it forth fruit, as it does also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth. So the gospel was preached around the world back in the first century. But you've got to understand the population of the first century at that time was just 200 million. Just 200 million people. Okay? And, of course, at that time, God was giving them his miraculous power to do that in the first place. But the population was very, very low compared to 7 billion people today. Okay? And they preached the true gospel, the Jewish gospel, the gospel that said you must keep the law of Moses and that the law of Moses wasn't done away with and you must keep the law just like 
Christ did and follow his example, as First uh, John 2, verse 6 to, commands us to do. But anyway, um, First Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, says, If you continue in the faith, ground and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, made a minister. So it was preached under every, to every creature under heaven back then in the first century. And then in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, states this. Acts 17, verse 6. It says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren to the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Now, the world may have been turned upside down back then, but <laughs> it definitely isn't now in reference to the, the gospel. Um the first century population was is approximately 230 million, okay? There's about 7 billion people right now on the earth. And and that prophecy is dual. Quite a few of the prophecies in the Bible have uh, a first fulfillment and then a second fulfillment. Now, the gospel that is currently being preached to approximately 3.96 billion people worldwide, in most cases, is an incomplete gospel. And it focuses on a Jesus that kept the Shabbat or the Sabbath and the holy days of Elohim or God, so you don't have to keep them. Plus, 2.6 billion approximately have not even heard of the name of Jesus. They haven't even heard of Jesus, heard of gospel, they haven't heard nothing. This is according to the joshuaproject.net website. If you just want to go to that, uh, joshuaproject.net. It'll give, you, it'll give you information that over 2 billion people have not even heard of the name of Christ. So how in the world can people claim that the gospel has been preached around the world? It doesn't make any sense. Okay? It doesn't make any kind of sense whatsoever. So I just wanted to point that out, folks, that, um, you know, it's, we have to use our common sense here in reference to that, I'm trying to find something else here, some other statistics that I had uh, calculated here about this. I think I have it up in here. About, because uh, many people, because of the Internet, they, they tell their members that the gospel is being preached around the world. And the thing about the Internet reach it's not reaching everyone in the world. And I have some statistics to prove that, and I'm trying to find it here. I put it in one of my articles here. And let's see if I can find it here. Let's see. All right. It must be in this other one here. Oh, here, here it is. Okay. It's in my tithes and offerings article. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, when, when you hear ministers state their video, state their video or audio messages going around the world over the internet, most people, most people don't understand it is currently possible to reach only 1.9 billion people by using the internet. Okay. Now, there's seven billion people on the earth, right? So, how in the world is anyone going to be able to reach the entire world over the internet? You're not going to be able to. So this is only 28.7% penetration. 
because the total world estimate population is like close to 7 billion, 6.8 billion people. A ministry can reach 77.4% or 266 million Americans. Realistically, a significant amount of these Americans will not listen to a specific ministry's message over the Internet. Just like people that are listening to me, I know that a very small percentage of people listen to me anyway because I preach the truth and a lot of people don't like the truth. Uh, number two, I'm not reaching the whole world with this message. Uh, at the most, I'm reaching two billion people. But I know that two billion people, unless a miracle happens, are not. Uh, I know two billion people aren't listening to me. All right, so realistically, a significant amount of uh, Americans will not listen to specific ministries' messages over the Internet because the user has the option of choosing what they want to listen to or see over the Internet. Now, this same principle can be applied to reaching the maximum number of 1.9 billion Internet users. Now, if you want more information about, again, the fact is uh, 2 billion people haven't even heard of Christ, uh, you go to joshuaproject.net and... Despite that, the people that have heard of Christ, most of them have heard about a Christ who kept the law so you don't have to message. In other words, his blood uh, has nailed the law of Moses to the cross so you don't have to keep the commandments, you don't have to keep the Sabbath, you don't have to do, all you have to do is just love somebody, you know, and loving your neighbors yourself is is the result of understanding how to keep the commandments because when you keep the commandments, you, you do know how to love your neighbors yourself. So you, you have to familiarize yourself with the commandments to be able to learn how to love someone. Just can't say, hey, no. uh, the, uh, the, the, the religion is about loving people. Okay, loving people. But how do you love people? The Bible shows you how to do that. So anyway, so that's that as far as uh, preaching the gospel around the world. How much time do I have left here? 20 minutes, okay. All right, so getting back to Matthew 24, so I hope you guys understand that. I mean, I'll try to break that down with facts here, that when you hear any minister telling you, oh, I'm preaching the gospel around the world. No, they're not, okay? They're not preaching the gospel around the world. And the gospel that people have heard, 4 billion people, is not the Jewish gospel in most cases. It's the gospel of good news saying, it's good news. Uh, if you commit a sin, it's no problem. Uh, you know, Christ's blood... Wipes away that sin. It's not a it's not a it's not a message of repentance and changing and doing exactly what what uh Christ did. First John, just turn here. First John. First John. Starting in verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is propitiation of our sins, for for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know him. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And people say, well, you know, we don't believe that. Well, Hebrews 13, verse 8, states that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? He said he kept his Father's commandments in John 15, verse 10. So if he kept his Father's commandments, we must keep his commandments as well. In Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul said that Christ lives in him through the Holy Spirit. 
If Christ is going to live in you, he's going to keep he's going to be keeping those same commandments he kept through you. <laughs> okay, so so uh in verse 4 he says he that says I know him and keep of not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. In Ephesians 5 verse 1 it says we must be imitators of God. We all know that Christ is is God. He's a part of God. He's a word of God, okay? So being a part of God means you are of the God essence and he is. And and uh we're not following his example if we don't imitate him. In verse four he says, He that says I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Verse five, but whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby we know that we are in him. Verse six, and this is the pivotal scripture. He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. One of the things he did when he walked and it's revealed in Luke chapter 4, is he walked to a Jewish synagogue every Shabbat, and he spent a lot of time teaching people the Word of God and listening to the Word of God. And that's what we should do on a Shabbat. In addition to that, he never worked on a Shabbat. Uh, what he did, he went around doing uh, healing people, visiting people, visiting widows and the fatherless. That's what he did on a Shabbat, and that's what we should do too, if we can do that, visit people on, on a Shabbat. And and uh, focus at one on one day, the Sabbath day or the Shabbat, on uh, worshiping God and putting God first in your life all day. And it's really a day to be spiritually rejuvenated so you can deal with the trials of the week, of the work week, of the, uh, of the next work week, which begins after sunset today, the first day of the week, Sunday. So... We must keep those commandments, and like I said, the majority of Christians don't do that. They're taught to just love, 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 and how do you know how to love somebody? We have to study the commandments. We have to study the commandments. So anyway, getting back to Matthew chapter 24. All right. So you should have a better understanding of the first, verse 14. Oh, one other scripture. Well, I'll read this first. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witnesses to all nations, then shall the end come. All right. There's two group, uh, individuals or groups of, uh, of individuals that will be preaching the gospel in the end times. First, the, the two witnesses here. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Verse 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. Uh, in, the, in this context, uh, Thursday, Obama announced that uh, there must be a state of Israel and a state of Palestine, or Palestinian state, uh, based on the, 19, uh, the pre-1967 borders. Uh, the pre-1967 borders... Uh, at that time, before the uh, 1967 war, the Six-Day War, uh, Israel did not have uh, the Sinai, did not have Gaza, did not have the West Bank. The West Bank is the area of uh, Jerusalem and, and uh, Judea. Okay, that's that's the West Bank. And the Palestinians want all that. And, of course, Netanyahu told Obama, no, we can't go back to that. We can't go back to that. So anyway, in light of that, 
verse 2, it says, But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. So some some people are saying that perhaps uh, they will allow the Arabs to keep their, their mosque there in Jerusalem. They, I forgot what they call it there. Some kind of uh, uh, where they worship that in Jerusalem. And then, of course, uh, the temple will be rebuilt, the Jerusalem temple, the Jewish temple. This is a prophecy that proves it. It says, But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure not, for it is given unto the Gentiles in the holy city they shall thread forty-two months. So I'm going to explain to you another reason why I know that the end time is not here yet is because the temple must be built. It's prophesied to be built. This scripture and, and Matthew 24, verse 15 proves it. I'm going to prove that to you in a minute. Verse 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth, meaning they're going to have issues and problems. Verse 4, These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And have power over waters to turn into blood to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So this hasn't happened, folks, yet. When this happens, the gospel will be be, uh, be preached around the world. And how do I know that? Well, let's read the rest of the scriptures here, verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that is sentenced out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, which also our Lord was crucified. Verse 9. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. Verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth, that means everyone, shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So that proves to you that they got this gospel message out to the entire world. Because if they didn't, why would the whole world be celebrating that they're dead? And and that these prophets tormented them with the truth. <laughs> so obviously they did get the gospel around the world. But they're not the only ones. There's going to be an angel. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. And this is after the... Um, right before the seven last plagues come. I've tried to explain many times in this program that there's a sequence of the punishments that God is going to inflict on people on the earth to get them to repent. The sequence begins with seven seals, then seven trumpets, and then seven plagues. We're at the seven plagues part here, or before the seven plagues part. And this is when the angel will warn the entire world here one last time before these seven plagues are executed. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, in the middle of the sky, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Verse 7. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God. How do you fear God? Proverbs 8, verse 13. You hate evil. And give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. Mr. Camping doesn't understand this. He's way off. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And then you read the rest of this. And then in chapter 15 begins the seven last plagues that leads up into Armageddon. And that's another Bible study, but you can read that if you want. 
So anyway, getting back, so you understand verse 14. It's not talking about some false ministry going around preaching that Jesus uh, died for our sins and all you had to do is love your neighbor and you don't have to keep the Sabbath, you, you don't have to keep the other commandments. And, and even if you, you don't, you don't have to worry about it because Christ's blood wipes away your sin anyway. So, you know, it's clean sailing from here, you know. No, that's not the gospel, folks. That's not the gospel, false gospel. But anyway, verse 15. This is another pivotal scripture to understand where we're at right now and where we will be in the future. I have nine minutes left. Uh, it says, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in a holy place. Whoever read him, let him understand. The abomination of desolation is referring to the temple of God built and it being desecrated. And in the end times, as Revelation chapter 13 reveals, a statue of the Antimessiah would be placed in the temple. Verse 16, Then let him which be in Judea, or the west bank, flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Now, if, if people are going to be raptured, folks, why would he tell you to flee? You don't have to flee if you're going to be raptured before the tribulation, right? So, again, I mean, we've got to use our common sense here. Verse 18, Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, and woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, which proved that the Sabbath day is still being kept. For then shall be great tribulation, and he expected his believers to keep it. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. It's shortened for the elect's sake because the elect is still in the world at this time. <laughs> They're not raptured away, folks. Noah was not raptured away to heaven. He was protected on the earth, and so will Christ's true believers. They will be also protected on the earth. Uh, verse 23, many people say it's just talking about the Jews. No, it's talking about believers. Believers will be protected on the earth. Those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and not just saying it, but actually doing it through uh, by doing what Jesus did to the best of their ability, and, and includes keeping His Father's commandments. Uh, verse twenty-three: Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there believe it not, for there shall arise false Christ. Uh, he said this many times during this passage of Scripture that it's going to be false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. They're very tricky. And so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive or trick the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. He's warning us not to, to listen to the false preachers. Verse 26, Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. I've had some people tell me that. Uh, some false ministers saying that he's going to appear out of nowhere, appear in a court case. You know, I mean, it's just I've heard some crazy stuff. Uh, verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So in other words, everybody's going to see it. <laughs> For so wherever the carcass is, that's where the eagles be gathered together. That's referring to Revelation chapter 19. When, he, when Christ comes back with the saints and the angels from heaven, he's going to land on the Mount of Olives, as revealed in Zechariah chapter 14, and he's going to totally annihilate those that oppose him. Now, those that oppose him, their bodies are going to be eaten by birds. And that's what this is referring to here uh, in Matthew 24, verse 28. For whosoever, for wheresoever the carcass is, or the dead body is, there will be eagles gathered together. 
Now, now verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This happens at the seventh trump, folks. At the seventh trump, that's when the resurrection begins, um, despite what the people that believe in the rapture preach. Uh, I mean, the rapture being at, before the tribulation. Revelation 11 tells us simply, verse 15, And the seven angels sounded, and there was great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kings of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then in verse 18, and the nations were angry. You think they would be happy, but the nations were angry. And, the, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead, the time of the dead is the resurrection of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you shall give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small or great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, tells you that this is going to happen at the seventh trump, the last trump, which is the seventh trump, despite what how people try to twist the scripture. Verse 51, uh, actually, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. So you have to be a spirit being to inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. The last trump is the seventh trump in the book of Revelation. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So if you have to put on immortality, then you don't have immortal souls, as the Catholic Church incorrectly teaches. So anyway, in Matthew chapter 24, so you understand that uh, the, all the elect will be gathered at the seventh row. And then verse 32, Now learn a parable of a fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and put it forth, leaves, you know that the summer is near. So likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. So Christ expects our end-time generation to notice that things are near. But he didn't tell us exactly when the year is going to be, folks. All right? Uh, so likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it's near. He wants us to know that it's near. He, know, he wants us to know that it's at the doors. Verse 34, Verily I say to you, this generation, this nuclear bomb generation that began in 1945, shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father. When I mean by the nuclear bomb generation, it began in 1945, and we've ever since been in a nuclear bomb generation. And this nuclear bomb generation will not pass. In other words, the capabilities of us having nuclear bombs will not pass until all these things be fulfilled. That's what I'm talking about, verse 36. But if that day and hour knows no man, and obviously camping, does not believe the scripture. It says the Bible guarantees. Well, Mr. Camping, uh, I'll do respect. The Bible guarantees that you're wrong. 
and, and, and 34, it says, Realize, saying that this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall not pass, but my word shall not pass away. Verse 36, but of, that, but of that day and hour knows no man. That means you, Mr. Camping, and anyone else that thinks they know. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as in the days of Noah, he talks about Noah, and yet he doesn't understand this in the context of Noah. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Now, did he was Noah raptured to heaven, folks? No. He entered the ark. He still was on the earth, but he was protected on the earth. And that's how people of God are going to be protected while they're in the tribulation. Verse 39, and knew not until the flood, well, not exactly being in an ark, but I'm just saying they're going to be miraculously protected. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken and the other left. In other words, one shall be killed and the other left. Two shall be grinding in the mill, one shall be killed or taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord comes. That's the reason why we need to be looking at world news. Uh, not be overly concerned about it, but looking to so we can somewhat estimate. Verse 43, But know this, that if the government of the house had known and which what which the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, you be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. But he's talking about coming at the seventh trump, folks, not before the tribulation. So hopefully I, I have explained this as clearly as I can. For those who need a, 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 a more thorough explanation, I, I do have a Bible study in the archives about the rapture. I suggest that you uh, locate it and study it. And uh, may God keep and bless you and protect you. And God willing, I'll be available next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 